0: Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. COVID clamped down. UK borders shut over fears of a new variant virus. Stock slump, Airlines among the fallers as virus fears hit markets. And bailout breakthrough. Negotiators agree a $900 billion aid deal. Now Congress has to vote. It's Monday. Let's make a move. Good to be with you as always. Two stories front and centre today. Finally, a deal in Washington, D.C. on financial aid for struggling Americans. But that news overwhelmed, well and truly overwhelmed by fears of a new variant of the COVID virus in the UK. The government is saying it spreads more quickly than earlier versions. As a result, multiple nations have cut travel ties with the UK. That includes France, Germany, Italy, Canada and Israel, among others. That follows the Southeast England, including London, being placed under a strict Tier 4 lockdown. We'll explain that and take you through to the UK shortly for all the latest information. As you can imagine, the uncertainty, though, being felt right across global markets. US stocks are set to open sharply lower, as you can see, pulling back from record highs hit last week. A sell-off, too, happening across Europe. Germany and France currently down more than 3%. We've also got UK assets under pressure too. British Airways parent IAG down, as you can see, more than 9%. EasyJet down 9.5%. Lloyds Bank also off more than 5% too on fears of further damage to the UK economy. What about the British pound too? Well, that's giving up Gains from last week as well. Brexit negotiations have also stalled and that now playing into sentiment as well. It's the perfect storm for the UK at this moment. Oil also tumbling on concern that travel bans will weaken economic recoveries. Both Brent and US crude down just under 4%. Oil has actually gained for the last seven weeks on vaccine-led recovery hopes. A reality chat going on well and truly this morning. Vaccine and US stimulus not helping in the face of current virus fears. Let's get to the drivers. The UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson holding emergency talks this hour after dozens of nations shut their borders to the country. The measures were sparked, as I've mentioned, by a new variant of COVID-19. Its prevalence in the nation's capital and the surrounding area also triggering a strict new domestic lockdown over the weekend. France's 48-hour temporary ban on freight has led to gridlock at the port of Dover, a key crossing point for goods and trade to and from Europe. Salma Abdelaziz is there for us. Salma, great to have you with us. Just explain what you can see right now.
1: Well, Julia, to avoid chaos, essentially part of the motorway has been shut down, part of the highway closed, and those drivers and their trucks kept in that location, essentially cordoned off so that the port right behind me here, the port of Dover, is completely empty. I'm just going to step out of the shot to give you a look. This is normally one of the busiest shipping lanes in the world. You should see ships coming in and out, imports and exports, bustle and hustle. What you see yet, what you see is a red light, all closed all off France-UK border shut down right now. Now, we do understand that the French authorities say that they are working on a Europe-wide health protocol to try to put that in place in a matter of hours to allow goods to transport b- between these two countries in a safe way without getting that variant that you mentioned uh, uh, to spread further, to spread further into Europe, to spread outside of the UK, although it's already been detected in other countries. But that's the fear that this variant that is up to 70% more transmissible could spread. So you have truck drivers right now sitting on highways, health concerns for them because they're sleeping in their cars. Uh, they don't have access to food, bathrooms, water. French authorities calling for help and support for those stuck on the highways. This port also now closed. Fears of food shortages, medicine shortages, something the U.K. uh, transport secretary essentially tried to calm people's fears about and say, listen, we have other ways. We're going to solve this. Uh, It'll take a matter of days. I'm in touch with my counterparts. But that doesn't uh, change the fact that just this weekend, Julia, the government here saying that this virus, this variant is out of control. Well, I think critics of this government would say today, while your response to this new variant is also out of control. Complete chaos. This country feeling like it's being sealed off, Julia.
0: That language certainly doesn't help when people are fearful. There are so many questions people are now asking and we don't have information. It may be spreading more quickly than other forms, or other variants of this virus. But does it make people sicker? What is going to be the impact on vaccines? There's so many things at this stage that we don't know. Selma, just in terms of the impact on the UK more restrictions, people being told literally overnight all the plans that you've made for Christmas now have
1: to change once again. Just talk us through that. I think this is a very key part of the story, Julia, because rules can go into place, but if people don't follow them, then those rules are simply not effective. Enforcement here in the UK has been very minimal. It does not come at a police level. It is up to the individual to follow the rules. And a lot of Londoners and a lot of people living in these affected areas essentially feel like the social contract has been broken. This is the prime minister who just last week stood in front of parliament and mocked the opposition Labour Party for even asking for tougher restrictions. This is the prime minister who said that there would be an easing, a relaxation of coronavirus restrictions for Christmas time. This is the prime minister who said, I will not criminalize Christmas. That would be inhumane. And then this complete about face, this total U-turn, you can only imagine how frustrated and upset people are. But most worryingly, many are just simply flaunting the rules, flaunting restrictions. I was at Heathrow earlier today and I was hearing from a friend inside that people were going to the countertops and asking for flights to the United States, which which. which, of course, has yet to ban flights from the U.K. They're buying flights to the U.S. to try to circumvent the rules and get back around to Europe. So this is what you need. You need people to follow the rules, respect and heed these orders. Otherwise, Julia, it really does look like this variant could start spreading outside of the U.K. It could go global.
0: And we need more information. Criminizing Christmas. Yeah, people just have to follow the rules, as painful as they are. Salma, great to have you with us. Thank you for that context there. Now, as the summer was saying, there are major concerns about supplies of food and other consumer goods getting into the UK after France closed its air, land and sea borders. The French government says it's developing a Europe-wide plan to allow supplies to continue flowing. Jim Bitterman joins us now from France. Jim, what more about this Europe-wide plan? Because we clearly need it and we need it ASAP.
2: Well, not very much, Julia. In fact, uh, the, the ambassadors, apparently the European ambassadors, have been meeting in Brussels today, uh, talking over exactly what they can agree on. There's no sign of any agreement as of yet. Uh, we did get a hint a little bit about uh, what kind of things they might uh, stipulate in, uh, this, in this health protocol from the uh, French transport minister this morning, who basically said that uh, COVID tests are going to be something that's going to be required. If, if People that are in Britain, uh, in the UK, uh, are going to have to have a COVID test before they can come to the continent. Basically, this is a problem more for the UK than it is for the continent because the UK depends on uh, much more on supplies coming from Europe. Uh, than the other way around. And in fact, uh, Brits who were trying to get to uh, to, to London and to uh, UK today were allowed to go. The, the Eurostar, for example, ran some trains today. Uh, and, uh, and people going toward Britain are not being affected uh, if they can find some way to go. But the question more is the transport of goods. For example, the French lorry drivers, French truck drivers who are in Britain Maybe stuck there for until some kind of a protocol is worked out. They could be stuck there over the Christmas holidays. Who knows? But they're stuck in their trucks. Uh, some of them don't have food. They don't have water. That sort of thing. Uh, it's a it's a very difficult situation on the ground for those uh, truck drivers. And the French truck drivers' union here has has spoken out quite clearly on. It. Elsewhere in Europe, it's the same sort of thing. The The concern is more about the people who might get stuck in, in uh, the UK and may not be able to make it back. And as someone was saying there, in fact, uh, it may be all for naught in the sense that this virus, this variant of the virus, uh, has turned up in at least a, a couple of European countries, and at least the Netherlands and in Italy. They've had some of the cases identified of this variant.
0: yeah. Yeah, we're already seeing it, Jim. And to your point, the lack of clarity over movement and when people are going to be able to move and get back home at this moment just a few days before Christmas is also adding to the anxiety. Jim Bitterman, great to have you with us in France there. Thank you for that. Now, this all because the new variant appears to be up to 70% more transmissible, scientists are also trying to understand how this might impact the efficacy of COVID vaccines, if at all. Joining us now, Dr. Peter Hotez. He's the co-director of the Center for Vaccine Development at Texas Children's Hospital and Dean of Tropical Medicine at the Baylor College of Medicine. Dr. Hotes, Peter, always fantastic to have you on the show. Let's take a step back. Your wisdom, please. What we know and what we don't know and what we shouldn't presume at this moment
3: well, thanks, Julia. Look, this is uh, the SARS-2 coronavirus is an RNA virus, and RNA viruses are known to mutate w- with a certain frequency. And, and based on those mutations, uh, these viruses have uh, created certain lineages, uh, certain, not really strains, but variants that allow us to geographically trace the origins of, of these uh, SARS-2 coronaviruses. So, for instance, we use the sequence of that, of one of the lineages to determine that the virus uh, and that affected New York and caused that devastating epidemic in March and April probably originated from Southern Europe. Uh, that's an example. Now, what's what the UK scientists have been noting, and they've been doing surveillance of all the different virus strains, and they've seen since, since September, there's been an increasing frequency of one particular type that has a u- unusual number of mutations. And so now this is becoming a dominant type of, of the SARS-2 coronavirus, a lineage that probably began in southeastern uh, UK, they think, and maybe around the Kent area. And now it's in London, it's in Scotland and Wales. And it looks as though it's out-competing in the sense the other, uh, other lineages, in the sense that it's becoming dominant now in the UK. And on that basis, they think it's possible that it may be more transmissible than the others. So that 70% number is not, is not based on experimental evidence, it's based on projections using mathematical modeling. As far as I know, there's actually no experimental evidence showing that it is more transmissible, but there's enough of a concern that the, this prompted the British Prime Minister to issue that, that warning that it may be a more transmissible variant, but we don't really know that.
0: It's frightening, isn't it? Because it goes back to this idea of science by press release. We don't have the data. We just have to go by feel here and say that simply because we're seeing so many of these cases, we sort of work backwards and presume that it's transmitting between people more quickly.
3: Well, that's right. And making policy decisions based on limited experimental evidence is, is really tough, I think part of it is is a reaction to the fact that we've we've missed so many opportunities in the past that people now want to be certain that they get ahead of it. They don't want to Mm. find out six months from now that this was uh, much more highly transmissible and maybe even uh, more serious uh, an an infection, and then find out after the fact. So far, there's no evidence uh, that it's more direct evidence that it's more transmissible, although it's possible. And there's certainly no evidence that it's more severe.
0: As you pointed out as well, we do see mutations take place. This is normal. What is it specifically that's caught the attention of these scientists that, that make them relatively more concerned? And is there any connection between that and potential impact on efficacy of vaccines? Because I think that's the immediate fear. People say, "Oh, is this so different that actually the vaccines that we've now created won't be good enough?" To be used against this, can we make any of those I, kind of assumptions at this stage? I, I think
3: what's I think what's causing the expressions of concerns is the fact that it's not just a couple of mutations or a right. few mutations; it's around 17, and that's quite a lot uh, for one particular lineage. And one in particular is in the part of the uh, virus that docks with our host tissues—the what's called the receptor binding domain of the spike protein. So that if it if it was more transmissible. This would be a plausible mechanism by which that occurs. I think it's unlikely that it's going to affect vaccine development. One mutation in the spike—all the vaccines work by inducing an immune response to the spike protein. I doubt right. one mutation is going to have that big an effect. But our, our scientists and others are already been working now to actually look at the the serum, the antibodies. From vaccinated individuals and show that it could still neutralize uh, that 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 this this new lineage and and the point is it's been around since September so I think it's uh, that we know so it's probably uh, all over uh, Europe at this point.
0: Yeah, I think we also have to take a step back and just breathe out and recognize that it's taken many months to get to this point where we're hearing about it. The likelihood is, to your point, um, it's already spread more widely than we realize. Dr. Hotez, you've had the vaccine. I believe just for our viewers, I just wanted to understand what it was like, how you felt afterwards, just to help people if they are afraid of getting this vaccine. Um, how you found it?
3: Yeah, I, I Julie, I got the uh, first uh, jab uh, as, as you say, in the UK for the the, the Pfizer-Biontech vaccine, the first one, the first of two doses. It was fine. I had a, that evening. I had a little bit of a, a muscle arm soreness, maybe some body aches, maybe even a low-grade fever. Uh, not even certain about that. By the next morning, I, I was really fine. So physically, it was not a, a big deal at all. No worse than other vaccines that I've had, such as the Shingrix vaccine or the, some of the flu vaccines. I think the the emotional impact was bigger. Uh, one knowing that. I'm the likelihood that after I get my second dose that I'll ever be in a hospital or ICU because of coronavirus is remote. So that was a great feeling of relief and gratitude to the Pfizer BioNTech scientists and to our national institutes of health and organizations like the Wellcome Trust for supporting coronavirus research for the last couple of decades to make all of this possible. I, I think my my greatest wave of emotion, though, was thinking about the 300,000 uh, Americans uh, uh, were, who've lost their lives already and thinking how if we could have just gotten them to the other side and gotten vaccinated, they did not have to lose their life. That was, that was heartbreaking to think about. Also, the fact that people are still so defiant of COVID prevention measures, in part because our, our, our White House, our U.S. government, uh, for uh, many months since the summer downplayed the severity of the epidemic, claimed it was a hoax, claimed that the COVID-19 de- deaths were due to other causes and discredited masks. And so many people lost their lives because of that. And it was just so unnecessary. So uh, a lot of intense emotion uh, because of all this.
0: Yeah, I, I pay you. I feel intense emotion just watching you quite frankly and so many lives lost around the world Dr. Hotels I only have um, a few more seconds but there was a reason as well for me asking that which is whatever we we know about this UK variant or don't know in addition to the fact that we're in the midst of a crisis and we continue to be even with vaccines coming it doesn't negate the need for social distancing for mask wearing for people just to follow the guidelines and to be safe and I, I guess this is an important message at this moment too.
3: Yeah, this this is it. You just hang on because uh, we have the vaccines have now. We've started vaccinating the UK population, the US, other populations. This is especially in, in London and elsewhere where you're, you're being asked to uh, in, endure some uh, harsh steps. Remember, this is not in perpetuity. This is a few more weeks, maybe a couple of months before everyone gets vaccinated and no one needs to lose their life at this critical juncture.
0: Yeah, hang in there. Dr. Peter co-director of the Center for Vaccine Development at the Texas Children's Hospital and professor at the Baylor College of Medicine. So thank you for all your work and education for all of us. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you again. All right. Today's news out of Europe is a reminder that global markets remain vulnerable to the new health shocks, even as vaccine rollouts gain steam. Help is coming, but not soon enough. Richard Quest joins us now. Richard, no surprise that all the stocks that we've seen gaining over the past few weeks on vaccine enthusiasm selling off today? Travel, hospitality, anything related to tourism? Yes,
4: because I think what's clear is that this variant, which might be in the UK, and the British have been upfront about sort of saying how bad it is, we know it's been in the Netherlands already. We know there's been a case of it in Australia. So it's not a wit and uh, beyond understanding to assume that before long it will appear in some shape or form in other European countries. And even if it doesn't appear appear in your country, it could appear in your next-door neighbour's country and another country and another country. And before long, you're going to have a complete halt of travel once again. So that's why this is so bad. I think what's also interesting is the failure, in to some extent, of the EU to be able to put together a coordinated response. We had Netherlands first with Britain, then Belgium, then Spain chipped in, then Germany and France. Meanwhile, the EU Council's deciding what it might or might not do about it all. But that's why. And what's also interesting, Julia, if you look at the stocks affected this morning. The legacy carriers, Lufthansa's down heavily. Uh, IAG obviously is down heavily, but the low cost carriers like WIZ are only down about four and a half percent. EasyJet, which has a huge footprint in the UK, is down nine percent.
0: Yeah, the relative impact here already very clear. Um, Richard, what about for US stocks? Because we're saying perhaps that this is a European issue. It may already be prevalent in in Europe and across Europe and other European nations. But for the United States, the stocks have defied gravity. We were at record highs last week. We're at the worst point ever in the Covid crisis. All the focus has been on vaccines and, and the recovery. Can investors continue ready, to do that, do you think?
4: Ready for a correction. That's <laughs> what I'm going to tell you. Now, is it going to... I, I cannot predict. Will it happen at... Two o'clock in the afternoon on December the 22nd or January the 3rd. I can't. But at these lofty levels, when earnings in the immediate future are under pressure, let's just bear in mind the UK had 30,000 cases, 30,000 new cases. The US has nearly tenfold that, 250,000 US cases. Now, the US population is not 10 times greater than the UK. So the virus is out of control to some extent in the United States. And when I look, and you and I are both here in New York, but when we look at the measures being taken, perhaps with the exception of California... I mean, what's been here in New York, what's really been done besides closing of outdoor of indoor dining and some extremely complex rules at the edges? There's none of that mixing of people and this and that and households and bubbles and all that sort of stuff you're seeing in Europe. Which begs the question, long answer but short point, begs the question whether or not the US is going to explode in terms of cases, even more so in the new year, after Christmas mixing. Which ultimately will, of course, hit earnings again.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're seeing the after effects of Thanksgiving. Wait until uh, we see yep. post travel and Christmas. Richard Quest, concerning words, but I, couldn't, I can't help but agree with you. Richard Quest there. All right, so to come on first move, Congress poised to pass a long awaited COVID 19 aid package. I'll call it a band aid package. We're going to need more. We go live to the United States Capitol for more on what's in it and what's not. And the freight industry warns the French travel ban will have a devastating impact on the UK's supply chains. I speak to the head of the UK Road Haulage Association later this hour. Stay with us. In the last few moments, the European Medicines Agency has recommended conditional approval for a coronavirus vaccine developed by Pfizer and BioNTech to be used across the European Union. The president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, tweeted, This is a decisive moment in our efforts to deliver safe and effective vaccines to Europeans. The approval, of course, needs to be rubber-stamped by the European Commission. This comes weeks after the vaccine was first granted permission in the UK and, of course, in the United States too. Now, another major development here in the United States. Lawmakers have finally reached a deal on that $900 billion stimulus plan, with Congress expected to vote later today. It will come as a relief for families desperately struggling across the country this winter, many of whom will now get a $600 check. John Harwood is in Washington for us. John, they finally reached a deal. Important to talk about what's in it. Also important to talk what's not in it.
5: Well, a significant thing that is not in the bill is aid to state and local governments, which have already laid off more than a million people over the last several months and faced further uh, layoffs because their revenues have been devastated by the economic slowdown under COVID. And, of course, that slowdown has been getting worse and worse. We saw bad retail sales numbers last week. Uh, Jobless claims have been trending up. We may get a negative jobs number for the month of December. It's possible that we could be uh, in negative growth for the first quarter of 2021. However, $900 billion in this bill is a big step forward uh, by the Congress, Democrats and Republicans. We expect President Trump to sign it. It will include those $600 checks for families earning under $75,000. It will include some uh, supplemental uh, $300 a week federal unemployment benefits. That's in both cases, half what it was in the CARES Act uh, earlier this year, but nevertheless better than nothing, and it will have some extended uh, unemployment benefits for people whose benefits would run out. So uh, it's very good news. Those, all those things, in addition to the uh, um, uh, replenishment of the Paycheck Protection Program, all of that uh, is uh, uh, quite a Christmas uh, present for the American people who have been suffering uh, for the last several months.
0: Yeah, it's a step forward. I called it a financial band-aid earlier, though, because I do think they're going to have to come back after the inauguration next year and and do more. But we shall see, for all the reasons you said about the economic weakening that's already going on. But, John, I I want to talk about something else, too. Some eye-opening headlines over the weekend. A meeting in the White House potentially discussing the use of martial law to force some states to hold new elections where the president is concerned about the validity of the results. Did this happen? What can you tell us?
5: Well, it's absolutely crazy. Uh, And uh, it's hard to escape the conclusion, given the things that the president has said, uh, that the president of the United States, who's going to be in office for another 30 years, is a kook who has surrounded himself with kooks who are pushing ideas like this. Now, important for our international audience to understand, this is not going to happen. There is not going to be martial law declared. but the idea that the president's entertaining that idea, that he's entertaining the idea of seizing voting machines from states, uh, it's just crazy talk. And uh, the, uh, everyone needs to strap in their seat belts for this ride over the last 30 days to see exactly what Donald Trump is capable of doing. Uh, the good news for the American people is most of the stuff he says is just uh, uh, crazy talk that doesn't go beyond talk, but we're gonna have to watch very closely.
0: John, I was just Googling as you were speaking there the definition of the word kook, K-double-O-K, a crazy or eccentric person. Yes, plenty of those. Yep. Thank you for that, John Harwood. You bet. Yes, in Washington for us there. Thank you. All right, the market opens next. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. U.S. markets are up and running on this holiday-shortened trading week. And as expected, we've got a weaker open for all the U.S. majors, though we are off earlier lows. I can say that U.S. lawmakers are expected to vote on that critically important $900 billion emergency aid package later today. That's the good news. But a deal, I think, was pretty much priced into the markets late last week. A worsening COVID crisis in Europe has not been priced in, and we're seeing that now. Governments across the globe are shutting down air travel to the UK as the country grapples with a new variant of COVID that may be more contagious, as we've discussed already on the show. Vaccines, however, are on the way. The first doses of Moderna's COVID vaccine set to be administered to Americans today, and EU health officials have just given conditional marketing authorization. quote to the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Its use could begin right after Christmas there. Now to the UK. The Prime Minister is currently chairing an emergency meeting. This as more countries ban travel to and from Great Britain. After the discovery of a new COVID-19 variant, much of the southeast of the country, including London, is under strict new lockdown measures, which came into effect at midnight Saturday. Nick Robertson joins us now from Downing Street. Nick, emergency meeting in light of the reaction from other European nations. I'm sure a lot of confusion from ordinary Brits, too. If they've been looking at this since September, why now and why the U-turns and the consistent changes over what to do about travel and, and Christmas arrangements?
6: Yeah, well, while the scientists were able to sort of see this particular variant emerge in September and a couple of cases here in the UK, what the data that they didn't have to support it in those two cases really didn't come until much more recently, early December. And according to the government, uh, when the announcement first came about this new variant a week ago today at a press conference, they didn't have the data which really gave uh, the understanding, the definitive understanding, that this new variant could be more infectious, 70% more infectious, they say. Not more deadly, but more infectious, which of course can drive up the number of people arriving in hospitals, put the hospitals into overcapacity, and that that is a danger as well so by the end of the week when the government had that information saturday we saw the prime minister reverse course on the christmas that it promised most people in the uk which was a christmas of several families in your in your household for a for a period of five days that has gone it's now down to in the tier four area of the country london the southeast an area of 16.4 million people an area one third of uh, one third of england uh, people have been told you cannot have any other families, anyone else in your house. It's just you, your family that lives in that house. That's all you can have for Christmas. So the reaction, of course, as the rest of the world has watched this situation take off and escalate in the UK um, has been to say, well, we need to Close down. So we've seen so many countries in, in Europe: Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, and the Netherlands, Belgium, Germany, France. Uh, we, we've seen countries in the Middle East: Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and others. We've seen countries in 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 the, in, in, in the Americas. We've seen Canada. We've seen uh, uh, um, Argentina. We've seen Chile we, we, and, and others. All come out and say it's not safe for it's not safe for British citizens to fly here. But the real big concern for that meeting today, the real concern for the government. Is is the fact that France put a 48-hour block Mm. on all travel, which includes trucks and freight, food coming into the UK. So that's one of the big areas that the government's looking at today. Their their line right now is don't panic. The the stores are well stocked. We've got what we need. But, of course, this is a very difficult situation for the country at a very difficult time.
0: Yeah, and it's the fact that it's deja vu compared to what we saw in in March-April time when, within the EU nations, everybody just acted unilaterally rather than having a coordinated programme. And, of course, the French Minister of Transport said, look, we're going to try and work something out at the European level and ease the the border crossings, the good border crossings. But, of course, Nick, it was already a real concern in light of the Brexit negotiations. So it's a perfect storm brewing here.
6: a perfect storm, yes, the Brexit negotiations blew through a deadline that the European Parliament said, look, if you, don't get a de- if you don't get a deal by the end of Sunday night, last night, then we won't have time to sort of go through it and ratify it before the deadline, the 31st of December this year. You know, that, that, that's one problem that's been, you know, that they're now, the negotiators are now facing, they are continuing to negotiate, there is a desire to get a deal done, but it caused more pressure on Boris Johnson from, from some of his own MPs now to, you know, to think about the possibility of, okay, that let's park this, let's try and get extra time other ideas are coming into play, but the government's not uh, not focusing on that right now. So, you know, again, you, you have this Brexit situation developing on top of this already now strained situation in relations with Europe. And, and one of the things that was going to come into play on the 1st of January um, was a scenario similar to as it is today that the uk being outside of the european union would mean that uk citizens would not be able to travel into the european union because of COVID restrictions um, so the scenario that we're witnessing today with this new variant is similar in some ways without the travel bans per se on flights but in terms of limitations of who could go to Europe from the UK the limitations were going to be very strict that were going to come into force on the 1st of January so there's a lot in change and a lot in flux Christmas in the middle of it and the people of this country caught unexpectedly in in a much tighter lockdown and a less happy Christmas for many people than they expected.
0: Yeah and many of them flooding out of London as we saw the images and the pictures over the weekend. Nick Robertson, great to have you with us. Thank you for that update there. All right. Joining us now, Rod McKenzie, Policy Director of the Road Haulage Association in the UK. Rod, great to have you with us and thank you for making time. Your response to what we're currently seeing and the the travel ban in particular put on by France?
7: Well, it's over the top uh, and it's over the top because lorry drivers are not vectors of this disease. How do we know that? Because in the first wave of coronavirus, only two to three percent of the entire lorry driving staff of the UK and those using the UK got the disease. So that's because they uh, they live alone, really. They, they are in the cab uh, on their own. They drive on their own. They sleep on their own in the cab. They eat in the cab on their own. They don't travel around infecting people in the way that arguably airline passengers do when they get on board a plane. With lots of other people. So it's an illogical move by the French. Uh, it's completely unnecessary at this time of year. The border was difficult enough, as you've just been hearing, because of the COVID preparations and the stockpiling that's going on. Sorry, the Brexit preparations and the stockpiling that's going on for that. And of course, it's Christmas, which is our busiest time. So this is not wise.
0: Can you just give us a sense of volume of traffic here, even if we just talk about the short straits, so that's Dover to Calais, because we're showing our viewers images here of Dover and it's just lines of lorries, stationary lorries. How many lorries a day would be travelling this route?
7: Yes, they're really ugly pictures, aren't they? And the answer is 10,000 lorries a day use the short straits between Dover and Calais. The reason they're called the Short Straits, not surprisingly, is it is the short sea crossing between GB and the continent. Uh, only about 20 miles doesn't take long to get across those, those waters. And the alternative routes uh, tend to be less popular with traders simply because they involve longer sea crossings on, on boats, which take um, several hours or, or even days. So um, that short sea crossing is vital. Um, and uh, I fear that sometimes it is used as a political weapon by the French, um, uh, and uh, it's certainly got very unpleasant consequences at the moment uh, for the poor lorry drivers who are stuck in those jams you're looking at, and who are facing a a miserable Christmas, possibly away from their families.
0: Yeah, and you've got French drivers stuck on the wrong side, and Brits or British driver lorry drivers stuck on the wrong side too and struggling with for clarity on how they can get home. I mean, 20% of the UK's trading goods goes via this route. Just to give us a sense of of how important this route is, the British Transport Secretary said that the ban was slightly surprising, but he said the majority of Britain's trade was not affected and the public won't notice any shortages. Quote for the most part. Rod, do you agree? Well,
7: I think the government is slightly misleading when they talk about 20 percent. Um, technically, they're accurate. But uh, the, the, the bulk of the things that are moved by other means are things like aggregates, uh, you know, gravel and, and sand and big, heavy stuff uh, and oil. And, of course, you very rapidly, uh, you, you know, can get up to 80 percent being that sort of stuff. But that's not the useful things for most Brits most of the time. So what we want is our Christmas turkey and our goodies and our chocolates and our French cheese or whatever it is and the wine. Uh, and and so the 20 percent is an illusory figure. It's actually effectively, uh, you know, much more like 70, 80 percent of the things we need as consumers including um, uh, parts for factories.
0: Yeah, so we need to uh, resolve these blockages ASAP and find a a European solution. Rod McKenzie, great to have you with us. Thank you. Policy Director of the Road Haulage Association. Great to have your uh, insights today. All right, still ahead, Tesla driving into the S&P 500, the opening trade for Musk and company on its big time debut. Next. Welcome back to First Move with another look at what we're seeing for U.S. markets. The major averages still lower, but as you can see, significantly off the lows in pre-market trading. Bank stocks also helping give some support here. The Fed announced late Friday that their balance sheets are strong enough to resume share buybacks. In the meantime, Tesla shares are lower on their first day as a member of the S&P 500. Yes, down 1.6%, only up 600 and 30-plus percent year-to-date, yes. Alicia Levine joins me now. She's the chief strategist at BNY Mellon Investment. Alicia, great to have you with us. We're not going to talk about Tesla. Talk to me about the market reaction today and what you make of it.
8: Yeah, hi, good morning, and happy holidays, Julia. Nice to to see you for the season. Uh, Look, I I think a fairly muted reaction, um, I think there's a lot we don't know. It's a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. I suspect um, the market's going to absorb Fairly quickly and on with the reopening story and the recovery story, which has really been priced into markets, particularly in the second half of the quarter in market recession. So, unpleasant news, but there's too much we don't know actually. So, um, I suspect that we're going to get past fairly
0: quickly and focus on and, and recovery. Yeah. Interesting. So, actually, after this initial sort of reality check, knee-jerk reaction that we know we're still in the midst of a COVID crisis, investors go back to focusing on vaccines, economic recovery, buy-on-dip mentality pretty quickly in your mind.
8: Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think that essentially what the market is pricing in is a very strong recovery starting in the summer of twenty twenty one. So anything that threatens that timeline of about six months to get uh blow pretty much back into the swing of things with a, a more regular demand pattern, you really start seeing it in the second quarter as you have year over year base effects on growth and earnings. Anything that threatens that timeline is going to affect the market. So the thought that maybe there's a variant of the virus that wouldn't. Uh, that the vaccine is useful against, obviously, but again, that is not the case. And so you're going to get hiccups along the way. Market sun goes straight up, and um, it felt that way this year, but we have to remind ourselves. And so the timeline is really what's going to threaten market performance in the near term and
0: get threatened that story. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Uh, Alicia, I'm going to thank you there. We will get you back soon, but we're having a few technical issues hearing you. So I'm going to thank you there. Happy holidays and we will get you back to the Chief Stretches at BMY Man Investment. Hug to you. Alright, still to come. A second coronavirus vaccine is now rolling out across the United States and not a day too soon. As cases continue to surge, we'll look at the distribution efforts ahead. Welcome back to First Move. Moderna scrambling to get millions of doses of its newly approved coronavirus vaccine distributed across the United States just before the Christmas holiday. Authorised, my apologies, not approved. Trucks are picking up the vaccines for delivery to hospitals and other sites. The first doses are expected to be administered today. Pete Montine is outside a distribution facility in Mississippi for us. Pete, great to have you with us on the show. Just talk us through what you've seen over the past couple of hours.
9: Well, Julia, we're expecting more trucks to leave here today. This is a McKesson facility. That's the company handling the distribution of the Moderna vaccine, and they'll be going to 3,000 locations across the country. Deliveries begin this morning at places like hospitals, pharmacies, CVS, and Walgreens. In terms of location, this rollout, about four times the size of the initial Pfizer rollout of last week, and that's thanks in part to a advantage that the Moderna vaccine has over the Pfizer vaccine it does not need to be stored at super cold temperatures in fact a regular refrigerator will do just fine that opens this up to more rural communities and rural clinics I spoke to FedEx about this and it says that difference is actually not change how it will handle these packages here's what they said
6: it doesn't matter whether you have to be ultra cold or you have to be whether you're minus ninety or minus twenty it doesn't matter. Our job is to get the package from point A to point B um, as expeditiously and as safely as we possibly can and to deliver it to those that are going to administer it.
9: Six million doses of the Moderna vaccine are leaving here, Julia, and the Department of Health and Human Services says 20 million doses could be allocated by the end of this month. You have to remember what a remarkable achievement this is. We are seeing the rollout of two new vaccines within the span of about a week.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is phenomenal speed. And the logistics here, quite frankly, are mind-blowing. And we talk about them regularly on this show. I want to get your aviation analyst brain working, though. In terms of (laughs) vaccines being given to pilots, to air hostesses, to people that are working in this environment, we've had representatives of the industry come on the show and say, you know, these are... Frontline workers, the same as others, and they're keeping the country flowing, they're keeping goods moving as well as people. What do we know? And is there any um, push here from the FAA to get these people vaccinated quickly, too?
9: Well, we know that airline workers unions have been fighting for airline pilots, flight attendants to be in that sort of first tier of those to get this vaccine. The FAA does have a little bit to say about this, especially considering that it regulates what pilots can take as far as medications, even vaccines. It's said that it would approve this rather quickly. And it has said that pilots and air traffic controllers can take the Moderna vaccine. Remember, two doses. So during each of those doses, a pilot or an air traffic controller has to wait 48 hours, especially considering those are high-stress jobs that involve a a high layer of safety. So it's good news from the FAA for pilots and air traffic controllers, although they are still waiting to see when they could actually get it uh, from the federal government.
0: Yeah, it depends what phase they come up in and what their relative ranking is. Pete, what about the idea of making those vaccines mandatory? Has anyone, whether it's the airlines again or the FAA, weighed in on this?
9: Not just yet, Julia. You know, they're they're standing by, these uh, workers are standing by to get this. Um, No uh, uh, definitive word from the FAA on whether or not this will be mandatory uh, for those working in the aviation industry. Uh, It is pretty remarkable, though, that the FAA did approve this with such speed. Uh, There's a bit of an irony here, though, in that these folks aren't actually on the list just yet of those to get this vaccine right away.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if you're going to start mandating vaccines for your employees, what about for uh, customers as well, quite frankly? Uh, It's going to be fascinating to see how this uh, plays out. Great to have you on the show there tracking the delivery of those precious vaccines. Pete Muntean in Olive Branch, Mississippi for us. Pete, thank you. All right. One last look at what we're seeing for the price action here on markets. U.S. stocks still lower in early trading. Tech actually among the big losers in early trading. So you're seeing a pairing of risk overall. But once again, we are off the lows as we watch what's going on in the UK and across Europe. Boris Johnson set to speak later on today, so we'll be tracking all of this throughout the day on CNN for you. But that's it for the show for now. You've been watching First Move. I'm Julia Chastley. Stay safe, as always.